Hello, Miami Dolphin fans. Welcome to the same old Dolphin Show. Now part of the DolphinsTalk.com podcast network. I'm Josh Katzker. With me today and every day is my brother from the exact same mother, Aaron the Brain. Aaron, say hello to the people. Hello to the people. Well, Brain, here we are. One last final 2018 regular season game preview show. Are you fired up for week 17 Miami at Buffalo? Oh, finally. I can't wait for this season to end. Oh my goodness. It has been, it has been another up and down roller coaster ride with your same old dolphins. And, and we've been with you every step of the way this season. Um, but alas, the season has reached its merciful conclusion and the dolphins will play out the string on Sunday in this final game of the regular season in Buffalo, taking on the Buffalo Bills to close out their 2018 season. Um, so we're gonna we're gonna do this show a little bit differently than how we've done other preview shows. Normally, we tell you sort of what you need to look at when Miami's got the ball, and what you need to look at when the other team has the ball. And really, for a Week 17 matchup, I think the Bills are five and ten. The Dolphins are seven and eight. There's not you know both of them are out of playoff range. This is really just the last game for these the season before these guys go out to uh, warmer climes and, and, and spend the whole winter golfing. Uh, so no, no real point in getting down into the nuts and bolts and X's and O's in a, in a game like that. Um, because really at this point, who cares, frankly, um, instead we're going to take a look at it from more of a broad view and, and look at some of the larger storylines coming into this game and the storylines that may be affected by what happens in this game. So we'll, we've got some things to talk about, um, that are a little bit more in the broad sense of things. And I think we'll still end the, end the show by giving a prediction for this game because why not? That's, that's what we do. Might as well, might as well give one last final prediction. Um, but yeah, instead of getting into the minutia of this game, we're going to we're going to talk about it from more of a broad view. And and before we get into the sort of main talking points about this specific game, the thing that we really need to start with is the reports that have been coming out uh, primarily from Armando Salguero of the Miami Herald. He basically said that it's all but a done deal that Mike Tannenbaum is getting fired after this final game of the regular season and that opens up a whole lot of a whole Pandora's box of other questions. Primarily, is he the only one that is going to be getting the axe at the end of the season? Because if he is, that is in some ways, I think, problematic. I think if you're going to get rid of the, the basically the top guy besides Steve Ross, if you're going to get rid of that guy, you might as well also get rid of everybody underneath him because if you're going to bring in a new VP of football operations, which is the position Tannenbaum holds, you might as well bring in somebody who you might as well get rid of everybody else and bring in somebody who has the opportunity to start with a clean slate in terms of who does he want his GM to be? Who does he want his head coach to be? And then from there going on to figure out the rest of your player and staff personnel decisions. That's a, that's my thought. But we're talking about Steve Ross. We're talking about the Miami Dolphins. So, you know, I think it's one of the more same old Dolphins things that this organization could do, which would be a half-assed turnover and 
just get rid of one guy and bring somebody else in to essentially just be a figurehead while the rest of the power structure remains in place. And I think that the benefits of that are negligible when you put it next to really turning things over and and really, you know, cleaning house here. So, Brain, I'll, I'll throw it to you for your opinion on this. The idea is the report is right now that Tannenbaum is the only one who's getting fired. I mean, we don't know that. That hasn't been reported that he's the only one that's getting fired, but he's the only one that we've heard anything about. So at this point, what is your reaction to hearing that Steve Ross is ready to move on from his good buddy, Mike Tannenbaum? I think it's a good step in the right direction. It's a good first step, but we don't know what the plan is. Um, Because it, it could very well be that the plan is to fire Tannenbaum and then do an extensive search, interview some people and bring in a new, you know, person from the outside to be the VP. And if that person is the VP, then they choose their staff. And then you make decisions from there. You know, if, if the plan is to fire Tannenbaum, but then at all costs, you are keeping Greer and keeping, uh, Gase, then it's the Joe Philbin thing all over again. It's we're we're hiring somebody, but we're limiting our options because we're saying that we're only hiring the person that can work with these people that are under him. In which case, anybody that really wants the job to be the vice president, it it is not an attractive job if you don't truly have the power. And so you know, whatever outside guy it is, you know, it's not my expertise to know who, who these up and coming guys are, but whoever the guy is that, that they want to go after, if they're worth anything, they're going to want their guys. They're going to want their team, the people that think clearly, you know, that have the same vision as them. Now it may be that they want to come in and interview the people that are on staff before they make a decision. And I have no problem with that. But if if the plan is to do this whole charade again, where you're you're looking for you know your new head of player personnel, but they've got but you they're only qualified or they're only going to be allowed to have the position if they could work with Chris Greer and Adam Gase, then you've already you've already screwed yourself. You've already limited your options there, and I think it's a bad move. So I mean, it remains to be seen now. Let's say that is the plan. Why would that be the plan? The thing that I've heard a lot of is, well, Chris Greer is the guy that has over a decade of experience as whether it's the director of scouting for the Dolphins or the GM for the Dolphins. He has been, his handprints, his fingerprints are all over the draft. And that's his thing. He scouts these guys in college he knows these college players in and out. And so that's his strength. And so, you know, let's say the idea was to bring in a Dan Marino as your VP to kind of be the, the guy who sets the tone, the guy who has a vision of what he wants the team and how he wants the team constructed and his philosophy as far as draft capital and how to construct a roster and how to spend the money and that kind of stuff but he has no expertise on the draft, you're keeping Chris Greer because Chris Greer has that expertise. But then you look at Chris Greer's 
resume as this draft guy. And he was made the Dolphins GM in 2016. So he's had full control of the Dolphins drafts since 2016. His 2016 was a great draft. Uh, that is, and that's that's most of why he's being propped up as this great draft guy is because his 2016 draft was really good. Laramie Tunsil fell into his lap and he made the pick, got Laramie Tunsil in the first round, traded up, got Xavier Howard, uh, took Kenyon Drake. Uh, now he did trade up. We did trade up to get Leonte Carew, and that looks like, you know, that's that's a bad decision. That's a black mark on the draft. But then they also hit Jakeem Grant in the following round. So that's four of the top five picks that they made in that draft that have been, without a doubt, great picks because you got yourself. I know he didn't make the Pro Bowl this year, but you would you would think that Laramie Tunsil is going to make the, make a lot of Pro Bowls. You got yourself a franchise left tackle in the first round. You got yourself a franchise quarterback who or cornerback who just made his first Pro Bowl this year in the second round, and you got Kenyon Drake who th- is one of the more interesting guys on the roster. But I I would think that most people would agree that getting Kenyon Drake in the third round is still a really good pick. And then to get Jakeem Grant in, in the fourth or fifth round, whatever it was to get any kind of difference maker in that, in that round, that's, that's a great pick as well. So that was a great draft, but his 2017 draft was horrific because you got Charles Harris was an absolute disaster. Raekwon McMillan, who showed some signs here at the end of the year, you know, shows some potential, but by and large, I think most people would say through two years, obviously he didn't play his first year because he got hurt. And then this year was essentially his rookie year. But I think most people would say through two years, that's a below average second round pick. Third round pick, Cordrea Tankersley, he couldn't even get on the field this year. He's He's been a disaster. Fourth round pick, which actually was a fifth round pick, Isaac Asiata, He's an app. He was an absolute disaster. So now we're talking, you know, prior, the 2016 draft, four of the five draft picks were really good picks. In the 2017 draft, three of the first four were absolute disasters, and one of them may still turn out to be a disaster. Now, you did get Devon Godshaw and you did get Vincent Taylor later in that draft, and then you got Isaiah Ford. Uh, who, you know, I don't know if he'll, he'll just destined to be this forever, uh, practice squad player who probably will never make a difference, but Vincent Taylor and Devon Godshaw seem like probably the two best picks of that draft, but that's a bad draft. And then this last draft, this latest draft, obviously it's, it's early. We all like the Minka Fitzpatrick pick, um, Mike Kosicki and Durham Smythe. They drafted two tight ends in this draft. Most teams, you know, are not going to pick two tight ends in a draft. And, you know, people will criticize, how are you going to pick two tight ends in a draft? But the idea was, well, hey, we figured out our tight end position. We've got a blocking tight end, a receiving tight end for the next however many years. So we've solidified our tight end position with the draft. Well, the problem is you drafted two tight ends in the second round and the fourth round. And your best tight end on the roster this year was a waiver wire pickup in Nick O'Leary. So that doesn't look very good. Obviously, it's still early, but that doesn't look good. Uh, Kalen Balaj, 
that may turn out to be a good pick. I've liked what I've seen out of him. And then outside of that, uh, you know, Jason Sanders, they found themselves a kicker. That's a good pick. So this last draft, I think, is kind of an average draft. But when you look at the last three years where he's been the GM, you have a good draft, a, a bad draft, and an average draft. I don't know why we'd be bending over backwards for this guy to be keeping his job. When if you could go out and you could bring somebody from the outside who has his own team and and I don't know why you would limit yourself in your VP search just to maintain a guy who's done an average job as a GM. And that's completely taking that that's completely overlooking however many years before where he was the director of scouting and the Dolphins didn't really have great drafts then either. And he was the director of scouting. So even though he, while he might not have been, you know, the guy making the final decision on the draft picks, it's not like the Dolphins were a team that was known for being great at talent evaluation coming out of college. So to me, it, it it means the the way that they need to go is probably to bring somebody in from the outside. And as much as I like Dan Marino, and if Dan Marino is going to put all of his time and effort, I have faith in him, you know, potentially. And I know he's been around the team and he's been going to practices and he's been doing game film. And I know he knows kind of the pulse of the team. And it's not the same situation as it was, you know, a decade and a half ago when he was made the vice president for like a couple of days and then he decided that it was too much work. So if he wanted to put everything he has into it, you know, I have a reasonable amount of faith that he could learn how to be a good vice president, but he'd basically be learning on the job and he has no experience evaluating college players. So why wouldn't you want to go outside bring somebody in who has experience and who has a track record of being good at it instead of limiting your VP search only to keep a guy whose track record is being mediocre. Right. And and one thing that we know that the Dolphins have plenty of experience with, it's bringing in somebody and giving them uh, their first experience in a certain position with the team. I mean, look no further than the last several head coaches of this Miami Dolphins team. And uh, none of that has worked out uh, particularly well for the organization. So I, I am with you there. You you're making the case. I don't I don't know that you would get you know somebody. I mean you're 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 probably not necessarily wanting to get a GM with GM experience because if you're getting a GM with GM experience, that means one of two things. One, he's leaving a GM job with a team to come to the Dolphins, and I don't think that's really, you don't see that happen. You don't see, I mean, the GM job or the VP job is basically that it's, that's the highest job you can get. Guys aren't jumping from a VP job with one organization to a VP job with another organization. So you probably would be getting somebody that, you know, is taking a step up from director of scouting or or some sort of executive to their first GM or their first VP job. Um, because you're either getting somebody who is going from a team where they already have the same title, which I think is probably not going to happen, or you're getting a guy who's had the title before, but now doesn't have the title, which means they got fired. 
which sure. means their track record sure. isn't very good. Well, you've got the, the big name out there right now is George Payton, from, who was who was the assistant GM of the Vikings. He is he is the number one guy out there that teams are going to be looking to talk to. And uh, quite frankly, I wouldn't be upset if if he was the guy that stepped into the role uh, with Miami. But again, a, as you've suggested, I I think. You know, if the Dolphins are going to bring him in, that means they've pretty much cleaned house everywhere and or or they've brought him in and let him sort of evaluate what he has. And if he decides at that point that he wants to move on from what is here um, in in his coaching staff, then at that point he can do that. Um, either way, the, the, what you are saying is that you are advocating for the Miami Dolphins to move on from Chris Greer as well. Yeah, I just, you know, when you've got this opportunity now to clean house and to take the organization in a different direction. I think it's really important that you have a, a clear vision. Um, but I also, I also will admit that I don't know who these guys are that have these jobs as, as the scouting directors. And I don't know how well-respected they are in these organ in, in these other organizations and around the league. What I would like though, is I would like whoever is hired as the VP to have total autonomy. I think it's bad form if you are hiring, you know, somebody to be the head of your organization, but then in the same breath, you're saying, yeah, but you've got to work with these guys under you because then, then what authority do you really have? Fair enough. Uh, Let's move on from this conversation because I feel like this conversation is going to be one that sort of goes on and moves and takes lots of twists and turns um, as the offseason progresses. So I feel like we don't need to get too bogged down with that conversation now. Let's turn our intention, our, our attention instead to this season finale for the Miami Dolphins. They travel to New Era Field or Rich Stadium or whatever the hell they call the stadium in Buffalo now. The Dolphins taking on the Bills in their 2018 season finale. And there's a number of storylines to look at going into this game. And I think what is by far the biggest one is that Adam Gase is essentially coaching for his job here. Now, as we as we mentioned earlier, the only thing that we've heard pretty definitively is that Mike Tannenbaum is going to be fired at the end of the season. We haven't heard one way or the other anything about Adam Gase. Uh, the, the hints and whispers that are going around out there lead you to believe that Gase is probably going to be back next season. But I think a lot rides on this game. Um, if the Dolphins go into Buffalo and get embarrassed, that means that the Dolphins will have found themselves after defeating Buffalo in New England. As fluky as those wins were, they were a team that was at seven and six and controlling, essentially controlling their own destiny for the postseason. And then they would have followed that opportunity with three consecutive bad, embarrassing losses. So I think there is actually quite a bit of pressure on Adam Gase to for the Dolphins to put out a good performance in the final game of the season. And, and what you're seeing is you can see a marked difference if you look at Adam Gase and how he is approaching this final game of this season compared to the final game of last season. His job security was strong at the end of last season, and he went into this final game of the season against the Bills last year saying, I'm going to give some younger guys some experience in this game. I'm going to start David Fails. I'm going to let Sonoris Perry get a bunch of carries. I'm going to play some younger guys. This season, 
That is not the case. Anybody who is healthy is a first stringer that is available. He is putting them on the field. Ryan Tannehill is going to be a go. Kiko Alonso has been fighting injury. He's going to be a go. Xavier Howard uh, is still questionable. Gase was at least smart enough to say that if Xavier Howard has any pain at all, he's not going to put him out there on the field, which I, I've got some respect for that because we need to take care of him um, in the long run. But it really looks like Adam Gase, and he said it in his press conferences, he wants to finish 8-8 eight and eight because that looks a lot better than 7-9. and nine. And quite frankly, if he ends this game with a victory and goes 8-8 eight and eight this season, then his record um, over the past two years would be 24 and 24, which looks a lot better than uh, 23 and 25. I mean, it's one game, but it's the difference between being two games under 500 and being 500. Uh, so he's pushing to do everything in his power to get this win for the Dolphins to put in a good performance on Sunday so that he can make whatever, if there is still an argument to be made for him to keep his job, he's going to go out there and ha- hopefully for him, have his players go out there and put in a great 60 minutes worth of football so that he can come back and continue to be the coach of the Miami Dolphins next season. Yeah, this is the part that's really silly for me. Uh this last game is essentially an exhibition game. It, it is a virtually meaningless game as far as the result is concerned. The only thing that the result will affect is it will affect the final record, and it will, which will then in turn affect your draft position. So for this game to have any bearing on any kind of decision is just preposterous to me. This is like making a decision on how on your coach based off of a preseason game. It is just silly to me. So the fact that he's going out there and he's approaching this game differently differently because he's trying to save his job, it's already that already is silly. That already tells me that this guy doesn't know that his head is not in the right place because the only value that can be gleamed from this game should be player evaluation on guys that you have not seen very much of this year. The guys that haven't had the opportunity. So those younger guys, those backups, your your David Fails, your your backup players, your your guys that have been sitting, you know, that you've picked up in the last few weeks or that have been you know, sitting on your bench, the majority put them in some spots and see how they can, how they respond. So it gives you some sort of idea about a plan with them going forward. You're going to learn absolutely nothing about Ryan Tannehill in this game. You're going to learn absolutely nothing about Adam Gase and his coaching based off of this game. So what's the point? I mean, what is the, you're, you're basically saying that it is more important to win this meaningless game than it is to, to gleam any kind of value. And if you're Steven Ross and you're watching this, I mean, are you really like on the fence and saying, well, I don't know if I'm going to keep Adam Gase or not, but if they go eight and eight, then, you know, maybe I keep him. And if they lose, then maybe I don't. At this point, your decision's got to be made. There, there should be nothing that happens in this game that should change anything. In fact, I, I would say that the only, the only thing, I, I'll give you this. I'll say the only thing that could potentially change my mind 
on Adam Gase would be the team coming out and not playing with effort. But we've seen the team play with effort. That's not really what Adam Gase is. That's not the criticism here of Adam Gase. The criticism of Adam Gase has been play calling. It's been, uh, you know, this whole idea of culture change when you still have all these players that are continuously butting heads with him. It's been an, uh, you know, a reluctance to give up play calling, a reluctance to change your defensive coordinator. It's things like that. None of that is going to be resolved here in this last game against Buffalo. So I just, I don't get that whole thing. And if I'm Steven Ross and I'm looking this from the outside, these kind of decisions and this way of looking at it, this very short sighted way of looking at it, unless, unless he's doing this because Steven Ross basically told him, Hey, you got to win this last game or you're fired, which case. Steven Ross hasn't learned a damn thing in his, in his time as the owner, unless that's the case. I mean, I'd be looking at this as a fireable offense just on its own. Just the fact that that you're approaching this game in this way, I would look at as a fireable offense because you're clearly not looking at this game with, you know, with the idea of, of looking at what's best for the team in the long run. You're looking at this in, I just got to win eight games. I got to win eight games, which means nothing. It literally means nothing. Because nobody's going to sit back here next year, you know, if the Dolphins start the year three and seven and say, well, you got to wait, hang on, or, or let, let's say they're five and six or whatever, because they're, they're still hanging around a playoff race. Nobody's going to, no, nobody's going to say, well, we can't fire Adam Gase yet. Let's see how he finished it. Remember last year, he won that last game to finish eight and eight. Who cares? It really is meaningless. Well, Sort of on that same page as approaching this game without thinking about what is best for the franchise as a whole is the next sort of topic that I wanted to talk about in this game, and that is Devontae Parker. The Dolphins have made it abundantly clear that they plan on moving on from Devontae Parker. It really just hasn't worked out for any number of reasons that we've talked about ad nauseum on this show over the past two years, whether he's he's lazy, he doesn't really want it, he has got injury problems, he's soft, whatever it is, uh, whatever the whatever the problem is, Devontae Parker has not been the answer for the Miami Dolphins this season. He, I think, has... like barely over 300 receiving yards this season, most of which came in the Thursday night game against the Houston Texans where he exploded for 180-something yards. Um, That is where the most of his output has come this season. Otherwise, he's basically just been a non-factor. He has not been the dominant number one receiver that the Dolphins wanted him to be. So the Dolphins have made clear that they're planning on moving on from him this season, or after this season. In the meantime, Adam Gase is talking about putting Devontae Parker out there for this final game of the regular season, this relatively meaningless game. And the the issue here is, if something were to happen to Devontae Parker in this game, let's just say he were to have some sort of knee injury that was going to knock him out and end up making him miss significant time next year. The Dolphins would be on the hook for his fifth year option of $9.5 million and be stuck with him for all of next season. It's essentially what happened with the Jaguars and, and Blake Bortles. When he got hurt at the end of the season, they were sort of, or just right after the end of the season, they were sort of locked in with him because he they couldn't cut him because of the injury. 
And that is now what they're looking at. The Dolphins are looking at with Devontae Parker. If something should happen to him, the Dolphins are on the hook for him next season and will be unable to move away from him. So does it make any sense for the Dolphins to trot him out there on Sunday in a meaningless game where they stand to gain nothing really in the long term? And it's really just a matter of Adam Gase going out there and coaching for his job. Is this a smart decision? I mean, I don't I don't know how these things work. If grievances if grievances could be filed, if if they purposely hold him out or or do things like that. Um, but he certainly hasn't played a ton of snaps the last few weeks, especially since with the emergence of Bryce Butler. And, you know, we'll get into the Dolphins cap situation. I don't know if we'll get into it too much on this show, but we certainly will in the offseason. But you know, maybe the Dolphins want to get get rid of Devontae Parker, cut ties with Devontae Parker. And if that happens, you know, so be it. If the guy ends up getting hurt when he plays like 20 snaps or whatever, and and it's a serious enough injury where th- that means he's locked into to his contract next year, um, that might not be the worst thing in the world uh, be, for for the for a Dolphins organization that has a very hard time restraining themselves from spending a lot of money frivolously when when they get a lot of money in in cap space. So we'll we'll talk about that. Uh, but I don't know. I mean, yeah, I see the point where if you're going to get rid of the guy and if he gets hurt, then you have to keep him. Then, yeah, it makes no sense to to play him. But I don't really know how those, you know, on, you know, if they decide to just not play him and it's not injury related. Um, I don't know if he can file any kind of grievance against them for something like that. I, I just don't know. The uh, next uh, aspect of this game that I think is worth looking at is sort of always the thing that you hear. It's like the main overarching narrative when you're talking about these games that don't mean anything at the end of the season in terms of playoff races. You hear about, well, all of these players are out there playing for their job. And I think to a certain extent that's true, particularly with this Miami team that is going to probably be going through some significant changes next year, not just in terms of whatever changes in terms of the front office and coaching staff, but... When you look at player personnel, they're probably going to need to make some moves, especially because they need to free up some cap space. And so I think there's a lot of guys on this Dolphin team that are going to be playing for their future, whether that future is in Miami or if they're auditioning for whatever their next job is going to be. That's part of, that's part of what we're looking at coming into the last game. And I think what is obviously the biggest name at the top of that list of players who are auditioning for 2019 the top of that list is Ryan Tannehill because, you know, depending on where you get your news, I mean, I, I read Armando's report that the Dolphins are looking at moving on from Ryan Tannehill, but nothing that I read in that article really clearly said to me that this team is definitely moving on from him. It, it really came, kind of came across more as Armando trying to read tea leaves as opposed to really stating that he knows for a fact that this is what's going to happen. So either way, Ryan Tannehill comes in with his future in doubt because whether if he's not with Miami, he's got to impress somebody else. 
because if the Dolphins are shopping Ryan Tannehill and looking to trade him, he's going to want to impress somebody so that he's still got a job. And if the Dolphins decide to just outright release Tannehill, which they could do, especially if they release him um, after June 1st, they can they can save a bit more money um, by doing that. But uh, Tannehill's, this game has a lot riding on it for Ryan Tannehill because he's had two very disappointing performances in a row, one of which was on the road, one of which is at home. And so now he goes into a cold weather game at Buffalo and really with one last chance in this 2018 season to sort of show what he's got. And maybe it's because he's in the shop window and somebody else is going to be looking for him or it's to salvage what might be left of his Miami Dolphins career if he's if there's another year even as a caretaker QB or a stopgap QB however you want to say it this might be his chance to fill that role so I think Tannehill is is playing for his future here uh, I think there's a lot of other guys um, when you look at the Dolphins linebacker core Kiko Alonso is a guy who's probably auditioning for whatever his next job is going to be because I can't imagine that Kiko is going to be around too much longer. Um, it sounds like TJ McDonald is not going to play on Sunday, so he's going to lose that opportunity to show what he's got. But you've also got guys like that are definitely going to be staying with the organization. Um, Kalen Balaj is going to have an opportunity to show off. Kenyon Drake is going to have an opportunity to show what he can do. Um, granted, the coaching staff that is here, if they are going to stay, they already have seen what they need to see of these guys. But if there's a new coaching staff that's going to be coming in, this is an opportunity for these guys to to show what they can do and, and really put on a show. So, Brain, what are your thoughts about Tannehill and his opportunity to audition as well as these players and maybe some others that you think might be playing to try to show off for whoever might be their next head coach. Yeah, with with Tannehill, I mean, uh, I think it's very similar to the team as a whole because this team, if there's one player on the team that kind of controls how the team goes, that's been, you know, kind of a bellwether for the entire team, it's been Ryan Tannehill. As Ryan Tannehill goes, the Dolphins go. That's been the case. Uh, really all season and really his entire career here is that when Ryan Tannehill plays well, the Dolphins tend to win. And when Ryan Tannehill doesn't play well, the Dolphins tend to lose. And he tends to be very up and down, which means that the team as a whole is very up and down. From Tannehill's perspective, whether he's auditioning for a job with the Dolphins or with another organization, he probably needs to play well in this game just to have, just to go out on a high note and really pad some of his stats and make this look like a better year than it's actually been so that he could either make the case to the Dolphins or to another organization that he is a franchise quarterback. I don't think anybody that has really followed Ryan Tannehill's career should be confused at this point as to what Ryan Tannehill is. He is a serviceable starting quarterback in the league, nothing more, nothing less. He's not a guy that is going to carry you anywhere, but he's a guy that if you put a lot of help around him and you don't ask him to do too much, he can make all of the plays that you need him to make. Uh, so he, he, you can win with him, but you're not going to win with him unless you've got a great team around him. And, that, to me, is not a franchise quarterback. That's not something that you pay $25, $26 million for. Whether that means that he's back here next year, I think there's a lot of factors in that. But 
regardless, I don't think anybody should be confused as to whether or not he's the quarterback of the future. You most definitely need to have a long-term solution or a long-term plan in place. Now, if he's not here, this is an opportunity for him to, if he gets cut, then, you know, if he signs on with another team, other teams might be looking at Ryan Tannehill as a value pickup. Because those teams won't have to spend $26 million on a cap number for Ryan Tannehill to be their quarterback. So for them, you know, if they look at Ryan Tannehill and they say, hey, maybe we can get Ryan Tannehill in here at, uh, you know, a two or three year deal where he's making like 12, 13, 14 million dollars a year. Maybe we've got the assets and the pieces to put around him that that is a contract that we can stomach and we can put the team around Ryan Tannehill that can make him successful. I think that makes a lot of sense. If there's a team out there that had, that really likes their team, but feels like they need, you know, an upgrade at quarterback, but don't necessarily have, you know, that young guy waiting in the wings and can't, and then, and then there's nobody else on the market. Uh, you know, then maybe you get a Ryan Tannehill for 13, 14 million dollars and you say, hey, this is our guy. We're going to try to win with him for two or three years as a game manager. That makes a lot of sense. And this is Tannehill's opportunity to kind of put a put a bow on his season and say, this is who I am. I'm still a starting quarterback in this league. Whereas if he goes and he lays an egg and he leaves that as his, you know, as his swan song for the Dolphins, then maybe teams are out there and they're like, eh, you know, he he really he he's got kind of a tendency of fading down the stretch in seasons. And the one year that he had a good year where he was playing well going down the end of the season, he didn't play in the last three games of the season. So we don't even know. Um, and so then they might not see him as a starting quarterback, even in that game manager vein. So I think it's an important game for Tannehill. Um, as far as other guys, to me, the most interesting guy on this team is Kenyon Drake because he comes in to next season with one year left on his rookie deal and he's set to make $800,000 and he's got a ton of talent and you've seen it and he's been arguably underutilized all season long because we have saw him. You know, at the end of last season, when he was given the opportunity to carry the load, put up great numbers. And this year, he just seemingly never got that opportunity, whether it was because of him not being a great pass blocker or it was simply because Frank Gore did such a great job running between the tackles that they ended up needing to split carries. Whatever the case may be, you didn't get to see Kenyon Drake fully utilized. But you see the talent, you see the big plays, you see the highlight real plays, and you say, you know, if we go into next year and we and he doesn't have a contract extension going into next year and he has a breakout season, he's going to be due a monster contract. And if we go into next season and we just say, well, we're going to kind of see how it goes. And even if he has a season similar to this year, where they kind of underutilize him, but he still shows flashes, you're going to lose him for nothing. So the Dolphins need to make a decision this offseason on Kenyon Drake as to whether they want to build around him as a as a key piece, or is he not part of the long-term future? Because if he's not part of the long-term future, then you got to trade him for more than you would get back in a compensatory pick, which I believe would probably be a third-round pick 
you know, unless he has a really great year. And then I think it would be like a late second round pick. So if you can get a second round pick, if, if you, I mean, first off, if you want to extend him, go ahead and extend him because I think you can get good value on him this year. If you don't want to extend him, I think the time is to start the time to start shopping him is this offseason. Uh, because I believe you could probably get a second round pick for Kenyon Drake because the any anybody that's gonna have interest in Kenyon Drake as a starting running back, they're gonna see that same value that the Dolphins could conceivably have this year, where if we trade for him now, we can give him the contract extension now. And then if he has a breakout year, we've got him under contract at a workable deal. Not he goes and has a breakout year, and now we got to pay this running back 10 to 12 million dollars a year, which that's that's when it starts getting really pricey. Well, it'll be interesting to see how things go in this final game of the season because we've we've seen that Kenyon Drake hasn't really been the featured guy, and we'll find out whether he can if he is the featured guy this week or or not. Because who knows? We might see Balaj be the guy that they want to uh, have be the featured back in this game. I mean, he. I mean, uh, hopefully the Dolphins find themselves in a position where they can be running the ball fairly often in this final game because that's really what they need to be doing anyway. That's what they're the best at. It's going to be cold out. So regardless, it'll be interesting to see how it all pans out for all of those guys who are playing for their future jobs on Sunday. Finally, the last sort of thing that I think is interesting to look at coming into this final game of the regular season is draft position. If the season were to end today, the Dolphins would be picking 15th in the draft. However, if results go their way, the Dolphins could find themselves um, moving all the way up to 10th in the draft. Now, that becomes really important when it comes to... uh when it comes to whether they want to draft a quarterback next year in the draft. Now, we found out earlier this week that uh, Herbert, the quarterback from Oregon, has decided to return to school for his senior year. So that was one of the big prospects that a lot of people were looking at, thought he might come out. He decided not to. And so that sort of puts a dent into that quarterback class for the 2019 draft. Um So if the Dolphins wanted to move up for now one fewer of these top tier quarterback prospects, it's going to be tough to do if if they're drafting from the 15 spot. So the Dolphins have an opportunity to move up, but they're going to need a lot of help in front of them. There are a number of teams in front of them that they need to have either win or lose. The big thing is that the Dolphins would need to, if the Dolphins were going to move up, they would need to lose and finish seven and nine. Uh, They would also need the Falcons to beat Tampa Bay so that Atlanta finishes seven and nine. They need Carolina to win against New Orleans so they finish seven and nine. Uh, That on its face seems unlikely. However, uh, the Saints having already locked up the home field advantage in the NFC playoffs might not be working so hard on this game. Actually, another interesting aspect uh, in week 17 is that Teddy Bridgewater is probably going to get um, significant time in that Carolina-New Orleans game. So that's something for Dolphin fans to keep an eye on because if you want to get an opportunity to see what Teddy Bridgewater can do in 2018, you're going to get a chance to see a little bit of that as Carolina takes on New Orleans in week 17. Uh, 
They need Denver to beat the Chargers. They need Cincinnati to beat Pittsburgh. They need Green Bay to beat Detroit. Um, but then there's another bunch of other things that have to play out because the, the tiebreaker is strength of schedule when it comes to draft position. So all these teams will have similar record. It's going to be the team with the, uh, I think it's the team with the lowest strength of schedule, um, would be the team that draft higher. I believe is how that works out. So Dolphins need some things to happen, but they have an opportunity if they lose this game to Buffalo to have their draft position move up. Now, I'm not saying that anybody should be cheering for a loss per se, but then again, the performance can be what the performance is. And then, you know, ultimately the result doesn't matter. If the Dolphins come out there and they play a really great competitive game, they can't get the win. Everybody who needed them to have a great positive performance will have seen that great positive performance. Um, and then even, even though the result was different. And then as far as draft position goes, then you get the right result. This is the thing where it comes back to what Aaron has been calling for since the Green Bay game, which is that the Dolphins need to perform really well and lose so that they can move up in their draft position. Well, the Dolphins did lose most of those games, but there was a handful of them that they managed to win. The, the Buffalo win and those that really right now, the Buffalo win and New England win are the are those two those two fluke plays. Charles Clay dropping the pass and the Miami miracle are the difference between the Dolphins sitting at seven and eight and five and ten. If the Dolphins were five and ten at this point, they would be guaranteed the tenth spot the 10th pick at worst at this point um, heading into the final week of the season. So, you know, with an opportunity to potentially move up to as high as fifth in the draft. So, you know, I, not to, not to say that you should ever go through the season sitting there cheering for your team to lose, but those mm-hmm. two wins, those two wins that everybody was really excited about at the time ultimately have meant nothing as far as what the Dolphins are going to achieve this season. So therefore, they have hurt the Dolphins in their opportunity to draft higher and therefore be their ability to wheel and deal to trade up to draft the QB that they want. Because I don't care where you are in your Dolphins fandom. I don't care if you are the biggest Ryan Tannehill stan in the universe. If you cannot arrive at the position that the Dolphins need to draft a quarterback in this year's draft, and I mean draft a guy that they believe could be the future franchise quarterback of this team. If you, if you're not there at that level that the Dolphins need to draft their future quarterback, I don't even know what to tell you at that point. If, if you don't believe the Dolphins need to draft a QB and start looking for their future franchise quarterback, I don't know what to tell you. I really don't. So where I'm sitting, the Dolphins need to draft a quarterback. So losing this game on Sunday would at least present them with the possibility of moving up higher in the draft pit, in the draft order is all the way up to 10 at the most would be the highest they could move up to. Anyway, I think that's an interesting aspect of this of this upcoming game. And Brain, I know you've this is something that you've been advocating for for a long time. Good to see you're finally aboard. Well, now that everything, you know, now that we've got nothing to play for. <laughs> so it begs the question, you know, if we get into this situation in the future, 
are you going to root for the team to lose? Well, see, the thing is... Because if you can look at it now objectively and take the emotion out of it and say, you know what, it would have been better for us to lose those games, wouldn't it then make sense if you could put yourself back in the same situation that you would go in with that understanding and then say, you know, I don't necessarily want the team to look bad, but I kind of want them to lose. I mean... I into I, we, and I've talked about this before. I intellectually know it's better for the team to lose, especially when they have no legitimate shot of winning the Super Bowl. I know intellectually it's better for the team to lose, but I just can't bring myself on a Sunday when I'm watching the game to uh, to actively cheer for the team to lose. I get caught up in the emotion of watching the football game, just as the players get caught up in the emotion of playing the football game. You want to win when you're watching the game. You want to win, so. I mean, that's, that is what it is. I know intellectually what would be best for the team in the long term, but you know, I I can't bring myself to cheer against the team when I'm watching the game. When I want to, when I'm watching the game, I want to have fun. And the thing that is fun is the Dolphins pulling off a victory. Um, Even if it's it's been, it's been rough these last couple of years for me, because it's very rarely a fun experience watching this Dolphins team. Yeah, well, and that's the thing. It's That's one of the toughest thing about being a Dolphins fan is that this team has not been particularly fun to watch. And that is why hopefully some changes can be made and we can finally turn that corner. It's like forever we've been stuck in the middle gears, just unable to turn that corner to become a better team, a team that is fun to watch, a team that wins consistently. Um we want them to, they just haven't been able to. Um, hopefully, we'll have some changes in this offseason that can finally get this ship turned in the right direction so that the Dolphins can finally become fun to watch again. It's been a long time. I mean, really, the last time it was fun to watch the Dolphins week in, week out, where it was genuinely fun to watch them, Um Honestly, it's probably you have to look all the way back to the Wildcat season. That season was a lot of fun because you always felt like the Dolphins were in every single game. Even even the year that they went 10 and 6 and made the playoffs uh Gase's first year, there was something unappealing about the Dolphins. Like even as you saw them winning these games, I never really truly believed that they were a, a, a real contender and part of it was because they couldn't manage to win the big games and it's like if you could find a Dolphins team that could that could go into those big games and get big wins and and not just win them like by one score but to win them convincingly uh, that's the sort of thing that we're missing as Dolphin fans and and that's the thing that we really want we didn't get that at all this season I don't think the Dolphins had a single, what I would call, convincing victory this year. I guess maybe the Oakland game was was fairly convincing. Well, even, even that game was a game that I believe they were down in the fourth yeah, quarter. And I guess the, the win at New York was, you know, those first couple weeks of the season, that was somewhat convincing. But again, this was against a terrible Jets team, you know, and not against like a true uh, playoff caliber opponent. I guess... You know, one of the funnest moments of the season was seeing the Dolphins beat the Bears, knowing that they were beating a team that was a legitimate contender. And granted, the Bears defense wasn't at full strength and the Dolphins had pulled something of a fast one by last minute saying that Osweiler was going to go as the quarterback. 
that game, that was probably as a game front to back. That was probably the most fun game of the season. Um, it had a, it also had a thrilling conclusion. It had, it was sort of that game was sort of a microcosm of everything that it is to be a Miami Dolphin fan, with the exception of the fact that they won at the end. It was the Dolphins were there. They were there. They were there. They were about to win a game. They fumbled at the one yard line. The Bears go down and are about to win, but the Bears failed to win. And then the Dolphins ended up getting the win on their own. That was probably the most um, appealing game um, aesthetically front to back in this entire season. I think if I had to pick my favorite game of the season, it would be that Dolphins victory over the Bears. Um, but anyway, let's get back to this game against Buffalo. Let's make our picks for this game, Brain. Unless, unless you have another storyline aspect of this game that we haven't talked about yet. Uh, let's, let's make our picks for this final game of the 2018 season for your Miami Dolphins. Yeah, let's do it. Um, so like we've said, kind of a meaningless game. I'm not sure exactly how Buffalo's going to approach it, but, um, you know, Buffalo's a team that's been playing better as the season has progressed. And I feel like for them, this, this has the ability to kind of springboard them into the off season, feeling good about themselves. They get the game at home. I think they've got a sour taste in their mouth about the way things ended down in Miami. Um, I expect Buffalo to come out and give a real inspired effort. Um, the Dolphins, I mean, I don't know that the, we, you know, I've heard conflicting things because we've heard all these players that have that butt heads with gays, but then we also heard these things after the Miami miracle about how the guys were hugging gays and how they play so hard for gays and they called him a genius. So if they're truly playing for Adam Gase, then they're going to give a really inspired effort knowing that for some reason the owner might be looking at this game and thinking that the result will, you know, make his decision on whether or not to keep Adam Gase. But if that's the case, I think the Dolphins play hard, but I'm going to give the nod to Buffalo. Uh, I just think when, when you saw these two match up a couple of weeks ago, Buffalo really outplayed Miami, uh, but save for, I mean, it wasn't just the, the Charles Clay drop, but it was a it was a couple of of passes that that uh, were missed by Josh Allen, um, where he had guys open and missed. And if, if he just hits on a couple of those, you know, Buffalo probably runs away with that game a couple of weeks ago, and that was down in Miami. So I think Buffalo is going to take care of business at home. I think Miami will have a hard time stopping Josh Allen. Um, and, uh, it, it'll be interesting to see how the players respond, uh, with this kind of, with the storyline, uh, with the, the narrative that it's potentially, you know, it's Adam Gase's last game, potentially Ryan Tannehill's last game. I do think Tannehill will play well. And I'm going to say in a surprisingly higher scoring game, the Buffalo Bills outlast the Miami Dolphins 34 to 31. Um, I was just doing some checking of the weather. It looks like the game time, as of right now, the game time temperature in Buffalo is going to be 33 degrees. It's going to be cloudy. So it's actually not too bad on the weather front from the Dolphins' perspective. So they're they're sort of lucking out. When you get that late December game in Buffalo, 
it's really a mixed bag of what you might expect, but it looks like the Dolphins are going to get uh, at least, you know, fairly decent weather for that time of year. Um, as far as my pick for this game, I, an interesting piece of trivia that I uh, I just saw tweeted out from um, Alan Pupar. He said that uh, the Dolphins have had six individual 200-yard rushing games. Three have come at home and three have come on the road. All three of those 200-yard games that happened on the road happened in Buffalo. Ricky Williams did it in 2002. Reggie Bush did it in 2011. Jay Ajayi did it in 2016. With that said, I don't think a dolphin is getting <laughs> to 200 rushing yards. <laughs> With that said, I don't think a dolphin is going to rush for 200 yards on Sunday. I don't think. And if somebody does, it would be Kalen Bellage, probably not Kenyon Drake. Um, either way, I don't think the Dolphins are going to rush for 200 yards. Um, I think it's going to be another one of these sort of dull, scrappy affairs. The Bills have a solid defense and the Dolphins are going to really have a tough time getting anything going on offense. I think the Bills are going to struggle early on to get things going, but I think ultimately they're going to pull away down the stretch. And this game is going to end very much the way that that game against Minnesota and the game against Jacksonville ended with the Dolphins on the wrong end of an ugly defeat to close the 2018 season. I predict that the Bills are going to win this game by a score of 27 to 13. And it's going to be a sad state of affairs for your Miami Dolphins as they go into the 2018 slash 19 offseason and heads, they're going to roll. And with that, I think that has concluded our final game preview of the 2018 season, Brain. Um, why don't you tell the people where they can find you? Can find me on Twitter at Aaron the Brain. Yeah, yell at him about all of his takes on Twitter at Aaron the Brain. I'm at Amplified to Rock. The show is at Same Old Dolphins. Uh, we also have a Facebook page, facebook.com slash Same Old Dolphins. You can like us over there. You can find every episode of the Same Old Dolphins show on DolphinsTalk.com. It is your one-stop shop for all things Miami Dolphins, so make sure you're visiting DolphinsTalk.com every single day. Uh, we would also appreciate it if you could head to Apple Podcasts, leave us a five-star rating, leave us a review. We'd really, really appreciate you leaving some kind words, and that way when... Miami Dolphins fans go looking for some new Miami Dolphins audio content in this offseason. It will be a lot easier for them to find the same old Dolphins show. The show is also available through Google Play Music. It's also available through Stitcher. And of course, we are on SoundCloud every episode. You can follow us over there as well. If there is a audio provider, a podcast provider service that you prefer that we are not yet on, Please drop us a line. Let us know at Samuel Dolphins is the Twitter account, or you can tweet at me directly at Amplified to Rock. Um, let us know what your preferred podcast uh, service is, and I will look into getting us getting the Samuel Dolphin Show added to that provider. So that's going to wrap us up for this episode. We'll be back. I think we're shooting to record a, a late Monday night episode. So at that point, the final game will have been finished. And 
some of the moves uh, presumably will have started to be made as far as what the offseason holds. It would stun, I would be stunned if we got to the time where we were supposed to sit down and record Monday night and Matt Burke was still the defensive coordinator for the Miami Dolphins. I would be stunned if that was the case. Um, hopefully there will have been some other moves made prior to us recording on Monday night. So we'll talk about everything at that point. We'll look back at this game and we'll sort of, at that point, we will know where the Dolphins are as far as draft order. We will know um, what the NFL playoffs are going to look like. Not that that really has anything to do with the Dolphins, but we'll we'll know a lot more by the time we record on Monday night. At that point, we'll sort of look forward into the offseason. We'll look back at the 2018 season and talk about some of our most memorable moments and, and all of that stuff. I sort of gave you a little bit of a preview of that here towards the end of this episode. Um just want to take a moment to, and we still have one more episode left this season, but I do want to just take a moment to thank everybody who has been along for the ride with us this season. A lot of you um, were joining us for the first time this season. You discovered us after we uh, met up with the DolphinsTalk.com folks. And a big thank you to to Mike and everybody at DolphinsTalk.com for, for bringing us on board over there. We really appreciate it, and we really appreciate each and every one of you listeners out there who has joined the same old Dolphin Show family this season, and whether you just listen and don't say anything about it any further, or whether you interact with us on Facebook or Twitter, we really do appreciate all of you taking some time out of your busy lives to spend 45 minutes to an hour listening to my brother and I rant and rave about the Miami Dolphins a couple of times each week. We really, really do appreciate it. So, so thank you. And we will look forward to talking to you after the season finale. So we'll talk to you uh, on Monday. In the meantime, take care of yourselves and each other. And we will talk to you again next time. Bye-bye, everybody. Go Dolphins!